you know, I think some of the things that happen as you and I grow up and as we go throughout our years, some of the things that happen, we, we gain a, a lot of things, right? We gain uh, knowledge that hopefully includes some wisdom. We gain experience. We gain education. But one of the things I found in my own life, if maybe you've found the same thing, there are also some things that we lose as we grow up. And one of the things I think that we lose as we grow up is our sense of wonder and imagination, and as we kind of kick off 2014, I know there was a Sunday before this, all right, I'm with you. I hope you were here. If you weren't, you get the podcast. Will gave us a great message on how to really focus and, and figure out what is our one thing in a variety of areas. So check that out. It was, it was really helpful for me last week just to think through those things. But today we kick off our 2014 vision series, and we're calling our vision series for this year, Imagine. And what you might imagine we want to do with this is to really imagine what God could do in our church community this year. But before we talk about 2014, I want to remind you or just inform you for the first time that um, imagination, that's really how this whole thing we're sitting in this morning came into existence to begin with. Uh, there were a handful or two of us that began to sense God speaking to us a few years ago about this church. And next month, we'll actually celebrate our third birthday as a church, which is pretty exciting. But we began to sit around as God was kind of leading us in this direction. And, and we sensed God, though it surprised us, calling us to start a church in downtown San Francisco. We began to collectively imagine, God, what could that look like? And we began to imagine you. Now, to be honest, you're much more beautiful than what we had imagined um, those years ago. But to really think, God, what, what, what could happen? Like, to begin to dream about a community centering and forming around Jesus and what Jesus wanted for our lives in a particular city, this one that we're in this morning, what could it be like for, for, for this church to begin um, to, and, and you know what happens as we grow up throughout the years, we, we quit asking or we ask less these kinds of questions like, oh, what if we, whatever, or I wonder if we could, or I, do you imagine that God, whatever the question is, so we wanted to ask questions like that. Everything okay? All right. It's all right. There's nothing going on behind you. There's not a football game on that you need to check on your phone or anything like this. Uh, definitely points in heaven for those of you that are here. I, I know the truth is you're just not Niners fans. I'm with you. And so um, the guys in the back are flashing me the score. And so if I get anything, just kidding. They're not flashing me at all. Um, edit this part. Um, but we began to imagine what, what could happen if God would bring a church together in the heart of San Francisco, really, that was about his purposes and helping people understand what his purpose was for their life and then encouraging them and giving them spaces and environment to go and live that out. And to be honest, as our staff and even our leaders in our church kind of have ended 2013 and we're looking back just for a moment before we go forward, we are blown away and we would collectively tell you, and I know some of you have been a part of this, would say the same thing, God has done so much beyond what we imagined to begin with. And they're really one of two responses, and one sounds kind of like the, uh, the humble, selfless response. The other one sounds selfish. The, the selfless response would be, wow, God, you've done so much. Why don't you just take 2014 off in Epic Church? And this may sound selfish, but I don't think it is. I think God wants to do more this year than he's done so far. And I want you to collectively in this room and as a church, I want us to begin to imagine what could God do. There are two verses I want to anchor this entire series in, and they're found in Ephesians chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen, and we'll get into a different text for today, but just introducing the whole series. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 in the New International Version, Paul is writing a, church, a letter to the church at Ephesus. It's known as the book of Ephesians, if you have a Bible. But in chapter 3, as at the end there, he begins this prayer for them, and he's praying that they would understand just how vast 
vast and, and deep and wide the love of Christ is for them. And he prays that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And then he ends his prayer with these words. I want you to sink your teeth into these words. He says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Breaking that down, here's what he's saying. To him. He's saying this is for God. This is to God. It's done for him, not for our own ends or gains. For him, to him. And he, here's who he is. He is the God who is able. He has the ability to do immeasurably, not just more, but immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And yet throughout the scriptures, God invites us to ask. Even though he can do beyond that, he's still saying, hey, come up with the best you've got. Ask, begin to imagine what I might could do in your midst. Ask, and he will do it according not to our power. This should help you and I relax. You ever sense God's calling you to do something and you just go, I can't carry that? If you haven't, there's no more there's no greater adventure or more pressure if you think it's up to your power to pull it off. And so here's what he's saying. I'm going to do beyond what you can ask or imagine, but it's not going to be your power because your power can't get you to the beyond asking or imagining. So according to my power that is at work, though, this is the cool part. I'm willing to allow my power to work within you. My power is at work within you. And then he finishes it up by saying, so that in the church and in what Jesus has done for us, God might receive glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's what we want to sink our teeth into over the next four weeks. And I'm just going to give you one statement every week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that particular thing. Here's the imagine statement for today. Imagine a church where selfless serving becomes the norm. Imagine a church where selfless serving becomes the norm. In many churches, here's the scenario. Here, here's the math for many churches that I've been a part of and that it just kind of statistically this exists. About 20% of the people in most churches do all of the serving. 20% of the people in the church, they take care of everything, everyone else, kids, hospitality. Now, I've got to be honest with you, here at Epic, that percentage is a lot higher and uh, much higher. I don't have a specific number to give you because things are kind of ebbing and flowing all the time, but my guess is it would be somewhere in the 50% range, which is awesome. But... 50% isn't quite the norm, right? Like, it's not like we can't, at 50%, it hasn't yet become the norm. I'm, I'm thinking, well, what if something like maybe, I don't know, 80% or more of us began to take on this idea of selfless serving? I think it's possible. Can you imagine with me what our church would be like, what our city would be like, what our coworkers would think if we collectively, like, selfless serving, it's not like, oh, look at the one guy serving, right? Like, look at the, no, like, this is becoming the norm, okay? So I want to say two things. I think this can become the norm for us individually and collectively as a church, but there is a massive obstacle in the way of it becoming the norm. I'll give you the obstacle in a minute, but let me let you know, when I talk about selfless, here's, I think, the way Merriam-Webster defines it. It's this idea of having regard or concern for other people while at the same time having little or no regard for ourselves, Okay? It sounds noble, right? It sounds like something admirable that we should aspire to be like selfless. That, yes, let's do it. But there is a huge obstacle in the way of you and I, I don't, and I'm speaking figuratively like I'm just including myself, but I'm not really a part of this. There's a huge obstacle in my heart and in your heart, in our collective heart as a church to becoming selfless servants. Huge obstacle. And here's the obstacle. Our own self-absorption. 
It's huge. I think there's one massive obstacle, but it is big. Our own self-absorption, I think, is the number one thing that keeps us from becoming selfless servants. And here's why. Before you start feeling guilty, I want you to know that self-absorption makes sense in some ways. Self-absorption makes sense. If, if, you know, because if you talk about being selfless, it means that you have little or no regard for yourself. What I start thinking, and again, I'm going to be honest. I'll let you guys just lie this morning, okay? But I'm going to be honest. For me, here's what leads to my own self-absorption. When I become convinced that if I were to take my eyes, focus, and energy off myself, no one else would cover me. Let me say it again. The reason I'm self-absorbed, the reason that you have tendencies towards self-absorption is because we believe that if we were to remove our focus off of ourselves, if we were to remove our energy focus on ourselves, if we were to take the blinders off and pretend like other human beings exist, then who's covering us? Who's protecting us? Who's providing for us? Because I believe that we're convinced that if we don't take care of ourselves, no one else is going to. But let me ask you this question. How, how could things change if we became convinced that we were taken care of? H- how would things be different if you and I had this deep confidence that someone actually was covering us? Someone wiser, someone more powerful, someone who watched over us always, someone who provided for us at all times. If we were convinced that that was present, then I believe we would be free to actually go and live this thing out that we're talking about this morning. What if someone who was wiser and more powerful and never slept, but watched us while we were sleeping? You guys know this, right? The the Bible talks about this incredible idea that even while you and I are sleeping, that God never needs to. And so he's able to watch us and provide for us at all times. And here's what I think is true for every person in this room and then collectively for us as a church. If we become convinced that someone is watching over us, taking care of us, providing for us, essentially covering us, I think we would be freed to go and do the same for those in our world. And here's the catch. You're like, Ben, this sounds simple. It is as simple and as difficult as what I'm saying. I think this is the singular obstacle in the way of you and I becoming selfless servants. But if the obstacle could be overcome, if it could be removed, if we could become convinced, because there's nothing evil that you and I have inherent within us, this desire to be taken care of. You guys know that's natural, right? Don't feel guilty about the desire to be taken care of. And so if we don't become convinced that someone who's capable is actually taking care of us, then we have no other choice, in my opinion, than to do what? Take care of ourselves. What Paul does in a letter he writes to the Philippian church is he unlocks the secret on how you and I can overcome the obstacle of self-absorption. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you need one, lift a hand and we will place a Bible in your hands. This is a gift from us. To you, we're on page 636 if you use or receive one of the Bibles that we pass out here at Epic. For the rest of us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I honestly believe this morning, got one more up here, right here at the front. I honestly believe this morning that this is the obstacle. And I believe in the 11 verses we're going to look at, and one of, I think, the most compelling and beautiful texts ever written in any kind of ancient, ancient manuscript. I believe Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, I believe he gives us the secret to overcoming this obstacle. 
one, one of my mentors, he's, whether, whether he's teaching me about um, my marriage, my parenting, leading this church, we talk a lot about strategy. And he, he's given me something that sounds so simple, but it's really helped me. He says, Ben, all a strategy is, is identifying the obstacles, and then the strategy becomes how you're going to overcome those obstacles. And what I think Paul does in this text with the self-absorption to becoming selfless servant issue, what I think Paul does in this text is give us the strategy to overcoming the obstacle of our self-absorption. So if you have a Bible, let's stand. And I want to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I just want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Like, am I open? If God has a remedy for my self-absorption, am I open to it? And again, I just honestly want to tell you, um, thankfully not all the time, but there are so many days and moments where I know by my actions and my motives and my attempts and my efforts and where I place my time and my energy, I'm not, you don't have to admit this, okay? But for your pastor, there are times where I'm not convinced that I've been covered. And in those times, I've got to do everything I possibly can to take care of myself. But there are other moments, thankfully, hopefully more and more of those in the future, where I become convinced that I've been covered. And when I become convinced that I've been covered, guess what I can do? I can take the blinders off, and I can begin to interact with you and see that you've got something going on. And so let's see if we can do this more and more and more if God has a remedy for us. Here's what Paul says I think the remedy is. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can be seated. So glad that you're here today, and I, I hope, um, I was telling my wife even about this as we were having breakfast this morning, like, I, I really think this is the key. I um, read this text a lot. Um, but I really think it gives the key to unlocking this thing in our hearts, and all of us, our hearts are bent towards self-absorption. I really believe that. Now, we can go on a mission trip, we can serve for an hour, we can lead a small group, those things are great, and we can allow those things to convince us that we are servants, but the reality is it doesn't become a way of life for so many of us because we just can't get beyond ourselves. I don't want you to feel guilty about that this morning, but I do want to give you hope that it doesn't have to be that way. I think right off the bat, Paul gives us a secret right off the bat in verse one, here's what he says. He essentially says, if you have received anything from Jesus, if you've, been, if you've received anything from Jesus, then I want you to have the same mind and become this selfless, others first kind of person. If you've received anything, and here's what I love about him saying, if you've received anything, um, so many times when we talk about concepts like becoming a selfless servant, what I tend to think, and maybe you do too, is, oh, that's for the spiritually elite, right? That's for people who've been to, like, like they've been a religious for a long time, or, or, or they've been a Christian for decades. That, that's for those kind of people, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? If you've received any, no, you can't give it back, all right? 
you're on the, you're, you're responsible now. He's like, if you've been given anything from Jesus, any encouragement, any comfort from his love, any of Jesus' affection, any of his sympathy for the things that you've gone through, any participation in the spirit, he's brought peace into your heart, whatever the case is, if you've received anything, then it doesn't matter whether you've just started following Jesus recently or you've been doing this a long time, this is for all of us. And I want to say again, I think conversely what he's saying is if you haven't received this from Jesus, if you aren't convinced that you've been covered, then you will not live this way that I'm giving you the other 10 verses. Guys, I think this is true in our marriages. I think it's true when we interact with neighbors, when we interact with our employees, when we interact with our employers, what we do here at church with our time, what you do in your small group, what you do with the people you hang out with socially or that you're, hang, you're around at the gym. I think all of this is true. If we have not been convinced that we've been covered by Jesus, then we must use all of our time, energy, and focus to cover ourselves. Anybody else feeling this or is this just me? I've spent way too much of my life, way too much of my life, trying to manipulate processes and give exuberant amount of energy and focus to making sure that in the end, I'm gonna be okay. My premonition is I'm not alone in that. And I don't just mean like, oh, my former life before I met Jesus and became a pastor and all that. It shows up more often than I wish it did. But I am convinced that when I am engaging and I'm embracing that Jesus has covered me, that he loved me when I could, uh, when I was not deserving of his love, that he gave me grace so that my future doesn't have to, dic- my past doesn't have to dictate my future. I, I believe when, I, when, I'm, when I'm living in that, when I'm receiving that, when I'm buying into that as reality for me, all of a sudden I'm free. And so if I lose my job, I'm still covered. Hurt, but still covered. If the relationship goes south, I'm still covered somewhere. I don't have to take care of that for myself. If there are other issues in my life, I've been covered, and so I'm free. So Paul says, if you've gotten any of this from Jesus, go and give it to other people. He talks about this cause-effect relationship. He's saying because Jesus has covered you, you don't have to spend the exorbitant amount of your time and energy and focus taking care of yourself. You can actually begin to do all these other things that he gives us. Starting in verse 3, where he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. I've got that one down, Pat. Anyone else? Nothing? Nothing out of selfish ambition. (laughs) We started this church so that you might find hope and redemption and grace, and you, you might be introduced to the unconditional love of God. You might come to understand that no matter how um, uh, you know, regretful your past is, that the grace of Jesus in, in, invades your life, and it doesn't matter about your past, it, doesn't, it can't dictate your future. And, and, and we've started this church so that God might awaken us to his purposes for our lives, and we can encourage you to go like, hey, this is the thing that God's got for you. Go run after it and, and build a community around you that will support you. We created this thing so that you might receive. But there is this cause-effect relationship. When we receive from God, all of a sudden, we come to understand that what Jesus is intent on doing is making us like him. That seems like it's going to take forever in my life. I don't know about you. But that's what he's intent on doing. That's what he's focused on. And it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he's committed to finishing what he started in us. Part of that's going to be becoming a selfless servant. Nothing out of selfish ambition says in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Can you imagine what our culture would be like here? 
if we live this out? And you're like, Ben, I, oh, I, I don't know if I can take the focus off. I mean, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm pretty significant. Here's what helped me as I was studying this week. So you'll hear our vision here at Epic. We want to really center and revolve our lives around Jesus. That's, a, that's, that's who we are. That's our theme. And the reason we want to do that is because we believe in all the universe and in all of history that Jesus is most significant. That, that, that is that's part of our core, like, beliefs. Like, we, that, that's what we're about. And, and we think that and we want to live that out because it's true. We, like, the scriptures teach that. And yet what Paul's doing as he invites us to become selfless servants, he's, he's saying there's this amazing example that you need to first receive as reality in your life, something done for you and to you, and then you need to go embody this example. And so all of the things that Paul tells us to do in this passage, he's saying it's been done for you by Jesus. Now here's what this means. Here's what this means. It means that Jesus was willing to consider, he's not being fooled here, okay, but he was willing to consider us as more significant than himself. And please understand, you don't need to go erect a statue to yourself today, okay? He is not saying you are more godlike than he is. But what Paul's telling us in this beautiful text is the reason Jesus gave up everything he had in heaven, the reason he put flesh on, the reason he goes to a cross is because he was willing to consider you more significant in that moment than himself. And then he fleshes it out more in verse 4. He says this. He says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, again, what would the culture look like if we came in here or we lived in our neighborhoods or our apartment buildings or we worked in a company or on a team of people who our approach was and the, and the bulk of the approach of the people in the group, we became so interested in what was going on in each other's lives. Now, your response to me might be this morning, Ben, we live in San Francisco. There's a lot of interesting lives here. That's not exactly what I mean. I mean that you would take such an interest in their life that it actually would come out in how you treat and speak to and how you kind of budget your time and your resources and those sorts of things. That you'd actually care about other people because here's the reality. We'll start even within our church. If it's only about my interest, I will never get here 20 minutes early to meet you in the morning to greet you, to kind of have this great first impression. If it's only about my interest, I will never step into that room with three, four, and five-year-olds and try to explain to them how God loves them in a way they can understand it. I just won't. Now, some of us don't need to step into that room, okay? God wants you to serve elsewhere. Like, you're like, okay, Ben, I hate kids, but mm, wait. I got another thing for you. You know, if, if, if it's only about my interest, I will never host a small group in, in my house. Weekly? Be crazy. Here's the reality. If it's only about my interest or your interest, we will never serve anyone unless we have to or it would personally benefit us in some way. This, I think this is true when it comes to being a servant. We would love for that to be our image and appearance, if not our reality. And so we serve when we're being watched or when we're being paid to serve, right? And he's like, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the question is, if our vision here at Epic, which it is, to orient our entire lives around Jesus, we need to ask the question when it comes to being a selfless servant, how did Jesus do this? I want you to see the text in verse 7 and 8. Three ways that Jesus did this and that we can do this. The first is, it's amazing when you consider this, like, he's, he's God and yet he gives up 
in that moment, he doesn't grasp onto or hold tightly onto the reality that he's God. It says in verse 7 that the first thing he did was he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. The second thing it did, it says that he did, was he took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a servant. Like, it became who he was. Not an hour a week. Like, it's just his persona. And so if he was around his family, he was a servant. If he was in a dating relationship, he wasn't. Okay, he didn't, as far as I know. Um, but if he was, he would be a servant in that. That's what he's calling us to do. He, he takes on the form of a servant. If he were to have the kind of job that you have, he would think about how to serve the company and the people well, customers, whatever the case may be, in your niche. He would think about how am I going to serve because that's who I am. And remember this, we don't become selfless servants to earn the love of God. We become selfless servants because we've been freely given the love of God already. Don't do this so that God will, will get happy with you and, and enter, let you enter into a relationship. Do this because God has poured out all of his best for you so we become who he is. So he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. And number three, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And as we humble ourselves, it probably won't, as the text said for him, lead to death on a cross. But for Jesus, it did. And sometimes I think, like, I just don't know. Like, humility. Mm. And yet, I, I look at Jesus, who has everything. Everything. And yet, he lays it aside. And if anyone has the right to cling on to their identity, and yet he doesn't, he sets aside privileges that are rightfully his. You make the universe, you get some, you know, there's a few perks that come with that, right? Like, oh, yeah, okay, you, I guess you can do what you want, you know. He, he sets that aside. And if he had not set that aside, everything that we imagine God would bring into existence here would be pointless. But because he set it aside, your past doesn't have to hold you back from his grace. Because he set it aside, you don't have to be responsible for paying for your own sins anymore. Because he set it aside, it really has changed everything for us. Everything. Let me give you four practical ways that you can, you can turn uh, this idea of being a selfless servant from imagination into reality, like really even starting today. The first one is just in, in your everyday life. I'm going to give you a, a simple prayer to pray as you wake up, and I wake up every single day. Here it is. Jesus, would you take the blinders off so I won't be self-absorbed? And then, Jesus, would you show me how you're at work around me and how I can serve in a way that would please you and make a difference in someone else's life? And, and maybe the prayer that should preempt those two thoughts or the, is this prayer. Jesus, um, because I've been covered by your grace, I don't have to cover myself today. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment in your everyday life, how would you interact differently throughout the day if you went into the day convinced that you've been covered? We know that that's a, a stated truth in our faith, right? But it's one thing for a truth to be theory. It's another thing for it to be practice. What if I was convinced every day I would be a better husband? Why? Because I wouldn't look to Shauna to give me what only God could give me and God has given to me. I, I would be a better, uh, a better supervisor of people that I uh, supervise. Why? Because I don't need them to cover me. I don't need them to clap for me. I like it when Tim does, but I don't need it, you know? Like, it's awesome. It, it's, it's humorous almost. It's like, stop.
but I'm being very serious on this because let me be honest with you. Let me just play out some scenarios, and this isn't my notes, so just I'll try to make sure it's not anything wrong I'm saying. I've gone into days where I need the people that work for me to really approve me. And, and that short circuits what I'm supposed to be doing. I've gone through days where even in my kids, this may sound pitiful, but even where I, I needed my kids to recognize me as something. I've gone into relationships where I really needed someone to do something for me that they weren't even capable of doing. And so what I do and what you do, we put this, uh, like, unable to carry yoke around someone's neck because we put this responsibility on them. And then even if we don't have anyone else in our lives, what we do is we just kind of look in the mirror and go, hey, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. And what I can do right now in my heart is just sense the freedom that would be afforded you and I if we could really be convinced that we were covered. If we were really convinced, what did Paul say to the Ephesians in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8? He said, it's by grace that you've been saved, this not of yourself, not so that you should boast. It's the free gift of God that you are created in God's workmanship so that you might do great works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. I really think this is the issue. The more I just sense what God's saying to me, even in this moment, not in my notes, just saying, friends, be convinced of this. He stepped out of heaven. He humbled himself for you. You've been covered. You've been covered. Work hard. Do well. Serve hard. But do all of that in response to the reality you've been covered. So if you lose the job, if you have to move, if you can't pay rent, if Christmas didn't go with your family like you hoped it would go, that is not fun. I think God's heart is breaking for you in that, but it hasn't changed the fact that you've been covered. If all the things happen under my leadership this year, I'll be excited about that. But whether they happen or don't happen, the things that I have in my journal today, guess what? I've been covered. I don't have to manipulate something. I can go and I can serve freely. Let me give you another way I think you can serve. One is by sharing your faith in Jesus with those around you in your life. If it's made any difference, as Paul says, shouldn't other people know about that? You don't lose it if you share it. You know that, right? I know, I know how it works with your sweaters, girls, with your roommates and all that. You share it, you know. If I share a book with somebody in the church, I lose it. I found that out. This is one of those things when you share it, you don't lose it. Third, we have a commitment this year to taking our city partnerships to a deeper level. You hear more about this on our website and in your small groups in the coming months. But, um, you know, we have given lots of funds to our partners over the last three years. And we have given, um, we've done these one-off events here and there. But our desire, one of our focus areas, one, we have three focus areas as a staff. And one of them is to deepen our partnerships in the city. You'll hear more about this. We're in meetings right now. Our team is under Lindsay's um, kind of leadership and care. Um, we're in meetings right now with Bessie Carmichael School to see how we can begin to tutor or mentor with them in an ongoing way. So be listening for that. And we're in meetings with City Impact, seeing how we can help with a building, a specific building and their adopt-a-building program in an ongoing way. And so be listening for those. It, it'll give you a great chance not just to do the once every quarter serving thing. We're, gonna, we're gonna, going to try to op operate and open up opportunities um, that we can actually influence people on a weekly basis. And, and then many of you know, two weeks from today, we launch our third service schedule starting January 26, 915, 1030, 1145. And friends, for us to make this jump and operate at full capacity, I want to invite you to jump in and start serving with us. There's a card, I think, in your program. <clears throat> just so happen to have that. 
there's a card in your program that looks something like this this morning. And so many of you have already responded. I think somewhere between 70 and 80 new volunteers or servants are already on board, which is awesome. But if you could let us know so we can plan accordingly, what service you anticipate attending? I know it could vary, but just let us know. And then would you be willing to start serving in one of these areas? So many great areas um, where there's the kids ministry, hospitality, the worship ministry, tech team. These are the guys and gals that take care of just making sure audio works up here in the morning, uh, that there's words on the screen, those, those type things. And then Will needs weekday administrative help in our office. About 10 people have a, a kind of a varied schedule, and so they come in during the week. And here, here's the reality for me. I, I think the best is yet to come. I'm not going to tell you today, hey, God said that we're going to do this, this, and this this year, Um, but I I do believe this. When you look through the pages of scriptures, when when there have been individuals and then especially a community and church come together collectively and say, God, we're willing to do the kinds of things that we know would please you, it's amazing what his response is. We don't hold him hostage. He doesn't owe us anything. But what seems to happen, especially as you look at the first church getting going in, in Acts, when you have people who would say, hey, I'm in this for more than myself. I'm interested not just in my thing, but in your thing. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to serve. So I want to encourage you to, to fill that out this morning, and you can put it in the bucket as we leave. And um, what I don't want you to forget, with all the practical ideas and what's coming up at our church, I don't want you to forget the basis of all this. At the center of this entire thing we've been saying this morning is the ultimate selfless servant himself, Jesus, who humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He's covered us, so we don't have to try to cover ourselves or look for things that could cover us. He's done that for us. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to move into a time of worship, response, and even communion. And so after I pray, you can sit there and reflect. You can stand and sing. And then as you're ready to, um, you can get up where you're standing. We'll form a line around this wall. You can take of the communion elements. Remember the bread representing the body of Jesus. Dip it in the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus. And as you take that, and then you can come back and just file back through here and have a seat. Um, but as you take that, two thoughts I want you to have this morning. One is just thanking, this is the whole point of the communion experience, thanking Jesus for his sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for covering me with the ultimate sacrifice. But then the second prayer and thought I want you to have is this. Because of what you've done for me, Jesus, remove my self-absorption. You've covered me. May I serve and embody that servant's attitude and heart and mind in the same way that you do as I interact in my world. So would you pray with me this morning? The band will come up. And then we'll just move into this response time. If you are not a Christian this morning, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that something you've heard would compel you to explore. If, and perhaps you're even ready to place your faith in Jesus as the one who has sacrificed by being killed on the cross for you. So that you might have forgiveness of sin, so that you might enter into a relationship with him, that you might have eternal life. If that's where you're at this morning, the prayer can simply in your heart be this, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I see it. I'm overwhelmed by it. I receive it. And for the rest of us, maybe there's some time we just need to, this morning, spend confessing, just saying, you know what? I've been so self-absorbed as this year started. Didn't know where I was going to live, how the work thing would start off, or school, or I'm a, I'm a parent of a young child, and so I've got to be, oh, I'm so focused on what we've got going on. God, would you free us? Would you free us this morning? Help us know that we've been covered, not by someone who likes us a lot, but by someone who is all wise and all powerful and gave everything for us. We want to respond now and just worship and, and, and tell you we're grateful 
And um, Jesus, thank you. And would you continue to free us from a life of self-absorption as we become selfless servants following in the way that you provided for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship and respond.